Well, welcome Cornerstone Church. Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. We're going to be continuing our series in the book of Psalms. So we're looking at the last uh, five Psalms in that book. And so last week we looked at 146. This week we're going to be looking at Psalm 147. So I encourage you to, to grab your Bible, to find your Bible and to open it up in front of you because we're going to be uh, looking at that and we're going to see that God's word is powerful. So it's be great for you to have that open in front of you. So while you're doing that, I'm going to pray for us and then we'll get started. So Father, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity to look at your word. Lord, you know where we are at the moment in our world, in our nation, in our families, in our homes. So Jesus, come to us, meet us, even in these strange times. Lord, meet us through the screen, through your word, but by the power of your spirit. It's not by strength nor by might, but by your spirit. So come, Holy Spirit, come and do your work this morning. Open our eyes, open our ears. Save people that don't know you, that might be listening this morning. Open their eyes to you. And those of us that know you, Lord, strengthen us. Need you, Jesus. So come now, Lord. Come and do your work, Lord. Amen. Amen. When we feel overwhelmed, confused, lost, doubts, questions, we need somebody else that's able to cope for us. Think of a child panicking and a father comes and picks him up and holds him in his arms. Think of a, a person lost at sea and hearing the blades of the rescuing helicopter. Think of a, a teenager with a, a broken heart and a mother holding her in her arms. Think of a person trapped in a car seeing the, the strong face of a firefighter. Or think of a person in fear of the future, overwhelmed by coronavirus, distraught. They need to see a powerful God coming tenderly towards us, causing us to praise and tremble in awe and trust in this steadfast love. And that is what we are going to see through this psalm this morning. That's the God that's going to be revealed and that's the hope that we have. So let's have a look and read this psalm together. Psalm 147. Praise the Lord, for it's good to sing praises to our God. For it's pleasant and a song of praise is fitting. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God on the lyre. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. He gives to the beasts their food and to the young ravens that cry. His delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of man. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. 
Praise your God, O Zion, for he strengthens the bars of your gates. He blesses your children within you. He makes peace in your borders. He fills you with the finest of the wheat. He sends out his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He gives snow like wool. He scatters frost like ashes. He hurls down his crystals of ice like crumbs. Who can stand before his cold? He sends out his word and melts them. He makes his wind blow and the waters flow. He declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and rules to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any other nation. They do not know his rules. Praise the Lord. It's a great psalm, isn't it? So the first thing that we're going to see in this psalm is the powerful God comes tenderly to us. The powerful God comes tenderly to us. And particularly uh, uh, verses 1 and verses 2 to 6, verses 8 to 10, and then verses 13 to 20. It's just littered with these verses about who God is, his character. And so as we get to this section of the book of Psalms, it's, it's really a celebration of all that's gone before in this book. Because really the book of Psalms is a, a kind of parallel to the gospel story. And so we get to the end of the book of Psalms and it's, it's celebration of all that God is and all that he's done. And so we see this powerful God coming tenderly towards us. And the first thing that we're going to see is his power. We're going to pause and just look at his power and look with me at verse 4. He determines the number of the stars. The number have you ever been out into the night sky and you look up and you see the stars? Do it tonight. If it's a, a clear night tonight, go out and have a look at the stars. Even in Liverpool, with all the light pollution, you can see hundreds of stars. In fact, you wouldn't be able to count them. And I imagine there's probably just about a quarter of what we're able to see. I remember being in, in Africa where there was very little light pollution and looking up. And you can see the Milky Way, which is like a, a cloud of stars. It looks like a cloud, but it's just so many stars close together. And there's millions. It's incredible. It's one of my favourite things to do, actually, is to see the stars in that way. And he says he determines the number of the stars. Do you know there's an estimate that there's 100,000 million stars in the Milky Way? I don't even know what that number is. I can't even fathom what that number is. And the Milky Way is, is our galaxy. It's where the sun is. It's where our planet is and, and these stars. And they estimate that our Milky Way is just one of millions upon millions of galaxies. Isn't that astounding? That's incredible. And he determines that. He knows every single one of those stars. In fact, he's named every single one of those stars. There's more stars than there are grains of sand on this earth. Just imagine trying to count them. And the point is, God is vast. God is big. He is beyond all those million galaxies in terms of size and magnitude and majesty. He is the creator. God is great. And brothers and sisters, we need to feel our smallness this morning. We really do, especially in this season. So allow your hearts to see the majesty of God. 
Because it says in, in verse 5, great is our Lord and abundant in power. And that word abundant is simply another way of saying there's too much, there's, there's more than enough. It's not as if God's power is going to run out. It's not as if God gets to coronavirus and starts going, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? And gets in a panic. No, he has more than enough. He is bigger than all the galaxies put together. He is vast and powerful. He is mysterious. That's what it says in verse 5. He is beyond our understanding. And that's a good thing. There is a a distance, not a closeness as we'll see in a minute, but there's a a distance in terms of who God is and who we are. He is God and, and we're not. We're not called to be God. We can relax and let God be God. And so coming out of the stars and the cosmos, he comes down into our earth. We see this picture in the psalm. So verse 8, he covers the heavens with the clouds. So now we're in our earth. He covers the heavens with the clouds. He brings the rain. Every blade of grass he feeds. I mean, how many blades of grass are there across this planet? Imagine trying to count those. He knows every blade. He feeds every piece of grass. He controls the rain that comes upon them. Every cloud that you see going across your skyline this morning, he controls. He is sovereign. He is king. You know, we can take a seed, can't we, and plant it in a garden. We can uh, see a blade of grass grow. But we cannot make an individual cell, can we? We can't even create one bit of the cell in that seed. I don't know if you ever heard uh, that story about a scientist who said, well, we don't need God. We can create life now in a test tube. And so God says, "Okay, let's have a competition. We're to create a living cell each while the, the scientist bends down to pick up some dust. And God says, no, 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 no. You have to make your own dust. <laughs> you know, we can't even create dust. We can't create something out of nothing. But God speaks, God creates, God makes. God is the creator, the powerful one, the majestic one. He is God. He is the supplier of every bite of food that cattle take, is what it says in the psalm. Every morsel of grass that they eat, every bit of food that is provided, God has provided that. God is the life giver. He is the sustainer of all life. He is the source of all life. He is the one that we need to come to. And verse 15 says, He speaks. He sends out his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. We see that in the beginning of Genesis. Right at the beginning of the Bible, God speaks and the world comes into being. His word is powerful. I don't know if this reminds you of the book of Isaiah. Well-known verses in the middle of Isaiah, chapter 55, verse 10 to 12. You can turn there if you want, but it's Isaiah 55, 10 to 12. It says this. And listen to the echo with our psalm this morning. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. You see, God is the provider. He is the one that provides our sustenance. Verse 11, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I send it. 
God's word is, is in front of us as we read this psalm. All of scripture is God-breathed. We have his word here. He is speaking to us through this psalm. His word is coming out, it says here in, in Isaiah, it won't return to me empty. And that's my prayer this morning, that his word would pierce every heart that is listening and looking at this screen this morning. And it would remind you of the majesty and the power of God. Verse 12, for you shall go out in joy. This is you, those that have trusted him. This is what his word can accomplish in you. You shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. That's the joy and the hope that we have to come. That's the power of God's word. That's the power of the Bible in front of you. God's word through his spirit creates life. So don't neglect his word. And, and it goes on in this psalm, verse 16 to 17. He gives snow like wool. Isn't this apt this week? He scatters frost like ashes. He hurls down his crystals of ice like crumbs. Who can stand before his cold? Doesn't it strike you, verse 17 there? It's his cold. He controls the temperature. The temperature belongs to him. Every change in the temperature is his. Even the wind that, that comes along and melts the ice, he controls that. Who are we, a man, to question God? Where were we when he told the lightning bolts where to go? Sound familiar? The book of Job, remember through the book of Job, a man who was suffering greatly, had so many difficulties and he questioned God, why is this happening? And God responded, let me be God, let me be God. And the psalm that we're reading this morning has echoes of that sentiment too. Why the coronavirus, Lord? Why, why the lockdown? Why another lockdown? Why, why do I have to go through such a tough time? Why can't we plant a church, Lord? Where were you, George, when cells were created? When I designed the snow? When I, I flung a thousand billion stars into space from my fingertips? Great is the Lord and abundant in power. You know, one of the best trips uh, Kate and I went on was to the Niagara Falls in Canada. We took a boat into the waterfall. You can actually get on a boat and go close to the waterfall. You can't obviously get underneath it, but we went close to this uh, waterfall and it was immense. I just remember being there and I was roaring. <laughs> I was like, ah, the sound of the waterfall and just the power made me feel small in such a good way, it was so freeing. I don't need to worry about this planet. I don't need to worry about what's gonna happen. I don't need to be anxious or fretful. God is God, you see, he controls the Niagara Falls, but he controls the Victoria Falls. He controls every falls across this planet and into the galaxy and whatever other planets there are and whatever other falls there are. He controls every droplet that falls from the mouth. God knows 
God ordains. You know, our, our baby, our, our little Henry, he's got no clue. He can just about pick up a spoon and he can get that food across his cheek, <laughs> maybe across his eyebrow, maybe in his ear, and sometimes, sometimes he manages to get it in his mouth. We're teaching him. But he doesn't need to worry, does he? He doesn't need to be concerned about my tax return this year. He doesn't need to worry what the solicitor is asking from us in terms of moving house. He doesn't need to worry about the, the tyre pressure on the car. He needs to let his dad worry about that. He doesn't need to concern himself. And times that by a billion when it comes to God, who knows every flutter of your heart, every blood drop that is zooming around our bodies now, how many grains of sand lie on the Sahara Desert. He knows it all. And we can trust him. He is our father. Let him be God. And so what does he, what does he do with that power? Is this God then some powerful, distant being that we, we can't come near? No, we're going to see now that he is tender towards his people. There is a tenderness. You see in verse 2 it says, The Lord builds up Jerusalem. And that word Salem in, in Jerusalem is another word for peace. Jerusalem is another way of saying city of peace. So it's saying the Lord builds up a city of peace for his people. A city that, where he guards the gates and he protects and, and the children within. You see, he is building his kingdom and he will protect his people. And it says he gathers the outcasts. What did Jesus say in the book of Matthew when he was in Jerusalem? He said how he longed to gather his people like hen who gathers her chicks. That's how God is towards his people, towards you, if you put your trust in him. He just gathers you. Verse 3 says he heals the brokenhearted. That's literally those who've had their hearts broken into pieces. Does that feel familiar for you at the moment? A heart that is broken? A heart that is fragile and tender? He gathers the outcasts, those that are, are pushed off, those that are there at the side. Does that feel like you at the moment? Do you feel forgotten? Do you feel lonely in lockdown? Do you feel like people don't care? Well, look at this God who comes to you, the one who feels that they're an outcast. Think of Jesus for a moment. Think of him when he met lepers and he met prostitutes. Think about how he treated them. He comes towards them tenderly and welcomes them in and heals them. They're broken, broken hearts. And he comes to us in our brokenness and he binds us up and he heals us and he strengthens us. I don't know if you've ever come across that Japanese pottery art, kintsugu. I don't know if I've pronounced it right, but it's the concept of pottery that is broken and then somebody uh, brings it back together and glues it back together but the glue that they use is, is gold and the concept is that that piece of pottery is more beautiful for having been broken and then healed back together with that gold and what a picture a small picture of what Jesus does to us he comes to this earth 
to those that are broken in pieces with nothing to give. And he comes and he heals us and he puts us back together when we put our trust in all that he is and all that he's done. He is the gold, the the glue that pulls us back together. Let me put that biblically, because in in the book of Hosea, in chapter 11, it says this. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim, that's his people. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. Jesus wants to heal us. Jesus wants to restore us. Isaiah 61 verses 1 to 3. This is a prophecy, a prediction of the coming Messiah. So the book of Isaiah was written 700 years before Jesus ever walked the earth. And God had promised that somebody was going to come. And and Jesus himself read out these verses in the temple and said they're written about him. Today they have come true in your hearing, he said to those people. So listen to the description of your Messiah, of Jesus the King, and how he treats us. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. Do you mourn? Are you grieving? Are you sad? God wants to comfort you. Verse 3, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. We don't need to mourn in the middle of this coronavirus. As difficult as it is, God wants to give us a beautiful headdress. We can rejoice in the middle of our suffering. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. We can be glad. The garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. We can praise God in the middle of the storm. That they may be called oaks of righteousness. The planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. Plant yourself in Jesus, the source of life. And he will give you the ability to turn mourning into gladness. Suffering into a joy. And how do we get this? Verse 6 tells us that he comes to those that are humble. Those that aren't focused on themselves. Those that just bow before him and say, yeah, I'm broken hearted. Yeah, I am struggling. Yes, I need you, God. If you don't know him this morning, let that be you. You want to know how you can receive that. He welcomes you with open arms. No matter how many times you've failed, says, just humble yourself, just come to me and ask. Think of Isaiah, we just read from the book of Isaiah. Think of him when he first met Jesus, he saw him with his own eyes. And he said, whoa, I'm finished, I'm done for. And he hit the deck humbly. You see, that's all God asks, to humble ourselves before him. Verse 13 goes on, he blesses the gates of Israel. But he also blesses those children within Israel. How tender is this? How intimate, how soft, how gentle must this God be? In verse 19, it goes on as well to to talk about Jacob. It's another way of talking about his people. His people. He has a relationship with his people. He wants to know them intimately. He's not a distant God. He's a powerful God, but he's not a distant God. We aren't ants, 
just left to our own devices. We are made in the image of this God who loves us and comes tenderly towards us. So that's what we see, a powerful God who is tender. So how do we respond? Well, we simply praise, tremble in awe and hope in his love. Praise, tremble in awe and hope in his love. So a question you could ask yourself as we go through this uh, section is, what am I praising? What am I fearing? What am I really putting my hope in? What are you praising? What are you fearing? And what are you putting your hope in? And so we we get this from, from verses 1, 7, 11, 12, and at the very end of the psalm in verse 20. So five verses is our kind of response. And four out of those five verses is just one thing that we give to God. Do you see that? Praise, verse one. Praise, verse seven. Praise, verse 11. Praise, verse 20. Praise, 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 praise. That's what he calls us to do, to praise him. To praise him. What do you praise in life? Have you ever noticed we praise the thing that we love, don't we? Ask Paul Elms this afternoon about the Turkish restaurant on Lark Lane. And he won't stop praising it. Or ask a friend about their children. We, we praise our children. Or ask a husband about his, his wife walking down the aisle. Or ask a, a Liverpool fan about their football team. And it's great, isn't it, to praise those things as long as our heart realises each of those gifts is from God. But verse 1 says, it's good to sing praises to our God. It's a good thing. Why is it good? Well, it goes on to tell us in that same verse. It tells us why it's good. It goes on, for it is pleasant, i.e. it brings pleasure. It brings joy to our hearts. So friends, God doesn't need us. So don't think that God is some needy God just needing praise. No, the Trinity, Father, Son and Spirit are complete perfection. They are complete joy. They don't need our praise. It's for our pleasure that they call us to praise them. It's for our joy. So have you you stopped praising during lockdown, during these last months? Let's be honest, it is harder, isn't it? From a room full of people singing to a room full of maybe your family or to a room full of just yourself. It's harder. But that triune God that I've just spoken about is in your living room with you this morning. The powerful God that we have heard about this morning the tender God that we have seen, the God that sings himself, the God who praises his son, the son who praises his father through the spirit is in that living room, is actually in you if you put your faith in him. He joins with you in singing, you are not alone. You are not alone. You do have something glorious to sing praises about, to to praise him, you do. But if you're anything like me, the the TV can become noise. Something on in the background. Because we are online as a church at the moment, church can become a little bit in the background. So brothers and sisters, you have a responsibility. 
a call this morning from verses 1, 7, 12 and 20. Praise. Praise him. Don't switch off. And church isn't just this hour or so that we have on a Sunday. It's through the week, isn't it? As we encourage one another, as we build one another up and, and send one another out. We can praise him through the week. We're called to praise him. Stand up and sing maybe later on if you can. Or just arrest your heart and say, I need to, to worship this king no matter how I'm feeling, no matter what I'm going through. You know, we've a, a plant in our bedroom, not a church plant, a, a proper plant in our bedroom. And each morning we have to remember to, to open the blinds, to let the sun in. Otherwise, when we come back in the evening, the, the plant has withered and drooped. And so our hearts need to be open. The blinds across our heart need to be open. And that can come through praising Jesus, through singing, through delighting in him. But it can come through a myriad of different ways. We can sing praises, but we can also praise God through our prayers. We can pray out loud. We can say, Jesus, I, I love you. I thank you for all that you've done for me. I thank you that we can still meet in this way. Even I thank you, Jesus, that you've come. We can praise him by proclaiming him to our neighbours, by telling our neighbours, you know, I feel safe at the moment, even in this coronavirus, because I know a God who has me. We can praise him by walking in the park and delighting in his creation and, and pointing to the beautiful sunrise or the frozen lake. We can praise him for, for the delightful Turkish takeaway that we had on Friday night. We can praise him by telling the world about him through our technology. We can praise him in so many ways. Praise him, praise him, praise him. So friends, that's the first thing that we're going to look at. The second thing now that we're going to look at is, is what pleases God. What pleases God, because we get this from verse 11, but the Lord takes pleasure. Isn't that amazing? We can please God. He's, he's given us instruction on how to please. And don't you ever ask that question? How can I please God? Well, he tells you in verse 11. The answer is to fear him and to put your hope in his steadfast love. That's what he says. Takes pleasure in those who fear him and those who hope in his steadfast love. So those are the two things we're going to look at now. And so we need to be careful when we talk about the fear of God. I need to be clear what we don't mean. This isn't this um, kind of dictator God and his cowering subjects where we have to just walk around tentatively and, oh, is he going to smite us? Is he going to do this? No, that's not the God that we're called to fear. And I hope you've seen that. Yes, he's a powerful God, but he's a tender God. But this is an awe-inspired fear. Have you ever read the Narnia Chronicles? The, the lion Aslan is a picture of Jesus. And one of the characters, when asked, is Aslan safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king. You see, he is a lion. Jesus is a lion, but he's a lion that we can trust. He's a lion that we can come towards. But we should have this sense of trembling as we do because he is powerful. And the Proverbs inform us that fearing God is the beginning of wisdom. It's the right place to be. And so the truth be told, we all fear something, don't we? And what we fear can actually reveal what we worship. 
what our hearts are trusting in. So for example, some people are fearing the future at the moment, aren't they? Understandably, fearing where the paycheck is going to come from, fearing paying the bills. But that can reveal what people worship. Because it can mean that we worship security and comfort. We, we've got to have everything in place and we don't trust the sovereign God to provide for us, even in a pandemic. Or, or what about some people fear death, terrified of death? They follow every health program. They take every vitamin religiously. They go to the gym seven days a week. They have plastic surgery, which can all reveal they worship this world and not the world to come. They don't trust the God who holds every breath in his hands. He holds the keys to death. Not plastic surgery, not the gym. Jesus holds those keys. You see, God calls us to fear him because that's the safest place for us to be and the best place to be. So what are you fearing? Remember those questions? What are you fearing? What are you praising? What are you putting your hope in? Because the second thing that brings God pleasure here in verse 11 is those that put their hope in his steadfast love. And this word hope, it's a, it's a future tense word, isn't it? It's not a hope in the past. We don't hope in the past, do we? For example, we don't hope that Liverpool won last week. We hope that they win next week. Well, some of you might. So God is calling us to look to the future, to put a hope in, in something in the future, a love from him that is coming towards us minute by minute, month by month. Lockdown by lockdown. He's calling us to trust that in the future he will love us. He's loved us in the past. Put your hope now in his future love to hold you minute by minute. It's a trust in his gospel promise to you, to love you. We so often use this word hope in a wishy-washy kind of way, don't we? Hope to see you next week. Hope it goes well. But no, this is a sure and certain hope. It says it in that verse, doesn't it? Steadfast. Those who hope in is, is steadfast. It's a love that is certain and sure. In fact, this word steadfast can also be translated as unfailing. As unfailing. Jesus' love will never fail you. Do you hear that this morning? Jesus' love will never fail you. It will never fail you. That's his promise to you. This word can also be translated loving kindness. Jesus is kind. He's kind towards you. He's not disappointed in you. He doesn't look down on you and think, oh, I'm really disappointed I saved that person. No, he's kind and he only has good coming towards you. And that's another word that it can be translated as goodness. Jesus is good. He's perfect. He doesn't have malice in him. He's not a hypocrite. He's not twisted in the same way that humanity is. He is only good and only has good for those that love him. That's his promise. Trust. Put your hope there in his steadfast love. Jesus is utterly devoted towards us that put their faith in him. You know, politicians call us to hope in them, don't they? Science calls us to hope in science. A partner or a friend might call us to hope in them. 
but sadly they let us down often. So how can we trust that this God is reliable when he says, trust me, I love you? How can we, how can we really believe that? Look to the cross. Look to what Jesus has done. He's come. We've just seen at Christmas, he's come. And he's come to die, to die in our place, to be that great substitute, to be that great swap. Why? Because he wanted to demonstrate the love that he has for you, that even while you were sinning, he died for you. That's the gospel, the good news of what Christ has done for his people, his church. And so as we put our faith in him, we are resurrected to new beings, living with his spirit in us, to this new life that we have all that we need in him. You see the spirit pours into our hearts now, doesn't it? And says, you are children of the living God. You can cry out to him, Abba, Father, that one that is powerful is now your dad who puts you in his arms and says, it's okay, I've got you. I'll carry you. Don't fret, don't worry. But I, I don't feel that, George. I don't feel close to God. I, I feel frustrated. I, I feel tired. I, I feel weary. Well, come to him. Where is your hope right now? What have you put your hope in? Are you hoping lockdown will end and all your problems are going to go away? Is that where your hope is? Or are you hoping, you know, if I just get a different job or if I just go and join the church plant or if I, if I just had a bit more money? You see, all these things reveal where our, our hope can be. Don't even put your hope in good things. Put your hope in Jesus. Or maybe you don't think Jesus really loves you. Really, is it for you? Maybe if I, if I just tried harder, maybe if I did more, maybe if I, I read my Bible a bit more, maybe if I told more people about Jesus, then, then I would feel that love, I'd experience that love. Look at verse 10. Look at verse 10, because that's not the truth. You see, his delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of man. He's not pleased with human effort to try and get right with him. No, he is pleased with those that come to him. Not through their effort, but through his effort, through his strength, through his power. He doesn't delight in us trying. The, the horse is a symbol of, of war, of man's strength. The legs of man, his strength. Are we trying to do things in our own strength? Are we trying to do things with our own giftedness, our own abilities? God calls us to come to him, to trust his strength, to trust his power. If you feel weak and helpless, that's actually not a bad place to be but put your hope here in Jesus. You know, I spoke to someone this week who said these words to me. I've had the best year of my life. I've had the best year of my life. What if I told you that same person has been in lockdown like the rest of us? What about if I told you that person is single? They live on their own. What if I tell you that over Christmas their, their room was flooded? What if I told you that person has 30 pounds a week to buy everything that they need to survive? 30 pounds. What about if I told you 
that person is thousands of miles away from their family and children and is not sure if they'll see them again. What about if I told you that person is facing a prison sentence in a couple of weeks? If I told you that person is waiting for an operation and is in physical pain? Some of you might know who this person is. Yet they said to me, this is the best year. Why is it the best year? Because it's the year that they found hope in Jesus that eclipses everything that they are facing. It means that they can walk through this life with a joy, unspeakable joy. What do we need to do? Fear God. Be in awe of him and who he is. Put your hope in his love. Praise him. There's no catch. It's that simple. You know, this Christmas has been a time of repenting for me, not of some obvious sin or addiction, but of not accepting the truth of the gospel, of not believing it. Yeah, 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 I always do that kind of, yeah, but, yeah, but maybe this, yeah, but. No, George, accept it. Accept that God loves you. Accept that he died for you. Accept that it really is that good and praise him. If you feel weak, weary and worn out, it's okay, come to him. Let him be your strength. I'm going to close with a few words from a sermon from Charles Spurgeon. And he says this, Christ loved you before all worlds. Long ere the day star flung his ray across the darkness. Before the wing of angel had flapped the unnavigated ether. Before aught of creation had struggled from the womb of nothingness. God, even our God, has set his heart upon all his children. Since that time, has he once swerved? Has he once turned aside, once changed? No, ye who have tasted of his love and know his grace will bear me witness that he has been a certain friend in uncertain circumstances. You have often left him. Has he ever left you? You have had many trials and troubles. Has he ever deserted you? Has he ever turned away his heart and shut up his bowels of compassion? No, children of God, it's your solemn duty to say no and bear witness to his faithfulness. Father, I thank you for your faithfulness to us. Jesus, I thank you that you were faithful to the end all the way to the cross. Thank you, Jesus, that you are resurrected. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you give us the same power in us now to walk through the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil, for you are with us. We love you, Jesus, and we need you. Fill us and send us out into this week with joy unspeakable. For the glory of the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen.